Amen. Well, I, I guess if you don't do too well the first time, those uh, grace-filled pastors will give you another swing at it. Uh, I really don't feel like I even got close to what I wanted to say last week. Um, and uh, Byron very graciously invited me to really take another stab at, at communicating uh, what I feel like the Lord wants to say. I think right now there is uh, there's activity in the manifest presence of the Holy Spirit. You know, uh, God is uh, omnipresent. He is always everywhere at the same time. And so there is a, an omnipresent uh, anointing or blessing that we have, but there is also a manifest presence that our spirits are calling out for, that he would manifest himself, which in, in a certain way that's really say, calling it something that it's not because it's really the curtains of our heart that need to be rolled back so that we can perceive who he is and what is on his heart at any given moment because his heart is toward us. It's especially toward Seth and, and his uh, wife, I can't remember your, Kate, his heart's toward these people. You know, I was just impacted by that. I saw him sit down and, and I just realized God's heart was for them, really for them. And that's what we need. We need an awareness of what is in God's heart. I think he has something to say to the body of Christ in this day. I think it's, I think it's evident that we're, we're on the, not just the cusp, but it, it has begun. There is a new beginning that has begun. And it may just be our eyes being open to all this. But I believe the Lord has a purpose for us as the body of Christ, and as individuals that he wants to make clear to us. So I wrote some of it down so that I wouldn't mess it up so bad this week. You know, I don't usually tack thus saith the Lord on much. Those of you who know that I'm sort of theologically opposed to that. But I really feel like this is from the Lord. So you judge and spit out anything that's bad and keep anything that's good, okay? I want to preface it by reading just a, a scripture from Matthew five, thirteen through 16. It says, you are the salt of the earth. But what good is salt if it's lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You are the light of the world. Like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand 
where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Okay, now this is what I think is anointed for now. This, I believe, is a now word. You are the light of the world that I want to put on display. This is a season for revealing, not concealing. This is your calling, destiny, and great high privilege. For you have been chosen to reveal my glory, mercy, forgiveness, and transforming power to this generation. The enemy of your souls is hard-pressed to hinder or distort this revealing. For even when he rises up with true or false accusations against you, this will result in your revealing. The enemy of your souls is hard-pressed to hinder or distort this revealing. For even when he rises up against you with true or false accusations, this will result in your revealing. I have determined to reveal the power of my Holy Spirit to your generation through the abundance of love, mercy, grace, and forgiveness that you have received as your inheritance. What you freely received, freely give in abundance to those who are hurting, rejected, wounded, angry, disturbed, and trapped in the darkness of their own making. I believe that's the word of the Lord. It is time for our light to begin to shine. In the midst of darkness, it only takes a little flicker to illuminate. John 8, 12 uh, says this. It says, Jesus spoke to the people once more. Here, I'm going to take another stab at it. Jesus even had to repeat himself occasionally. And said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness. Let's just pause for a moment. Give our little pea-picking brains and spirits a moment to absorb that. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness. 
Because you will have the light that leads to life. You have it. You have in you the light that leads not only you to life, but anyone who observes the light that you're walking in. We are the light of the world. It is the love of the Father manifested in our existence, in our lives, that allows people to see who God and Jesus Christ really are. Jesus said to Thomas, he says, Have I been so long with you that you didn't know me? I've been walking this out in front of you, Tommy. Thomas got it. We've often called him Doubting Thomas, you know, because he said, I ain't going to believe until I can put my hands in his wounds, till I can touch his side where he was pierced, where I can touch his hands where he was pierced with the nails. I want to touch and feel and see. And, but, you know, Thomas got it. He became a mighty man of faith. Many years ago, I met a guy from India, and his name, he was actually one of the administrators at Oral Roberts University, and, and, and his name was Thomas. And I said, oh, how did you get the name Thomas? And he says, well, somebody in my village is, the firstborn is, is often called Thomas because in my home village is where Thomas, the apostle, died. Thomas was there in India. He was preaching the gospel. And they shoved a spear in his gut. And he still continued to preach the gospel. And because there was so much love and anointing on his words, the entire village became believers because they said no man would do that unless it was true what he was saying. You won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. Now, I've got some good news and some bad news for you this morning. But if you have eyes to see, they're both good news. But you have to have revelation to understand how both of these things are good news. Both God and Satan want to expose you. And that's good news. 1 Peter 4, verses 12 and 13 says this. It says, Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going through as if some strange thing, something strange were happening to you. Instead, be very glad, for these trials make you partners with Christ in His suffering, so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing His glory when it is revealed to all the world.
When God exposes you, it's always to help you. It's to heal you. It's to set you free to be used for His glory. He wants to publicly display the work of His sovereign grace in your life. God's intent is never to shame you. His intent is to liberate you from everything that's holding you back. I remember once upon a time, uh, Mary Mead's grandfather was my first pastor. Uh, Luann Wallace's daddy and Mama Harry Bazell uh, had a tremendous influence on my life. They told me about Jesus and prayed for me to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And it absolutely revolutionized who I was. I was a different boy than the next day. But uh, I remember a time when, you know, Harry was kind of crazy. You know, he was, he was known to do things a little uh, different than other pastors. I can remember once we used to have these uh, fall retreats, and this was back in the day before internet, and there was absolutely no advertisement. There was no internet to post it on for, you know, Al Gore hadn't invented the internet yet. And, and uh, you know, so, um, uh, but somehow, some way for our fall festivals where we would roast whole pigs, you know, all the guys would get out there and we'd, for, you remember, we'd stay up all night, you know, roasting whole hogs, you know, North Carolina barbecue, it was good. And uh, there were these people that turned up from Australia. I don't know, I don't know how they heard about us in Australia, but they heard that the Lord was doing something at the Lamb's Chapel, so they showed up. And, uh, so I remember after one meeting one night, they requested prayer for their marriage. And they sat down as was traditional back in the day. You know, you put out two little folding chairs, and so everybody was going to gather around, pray for this nice little Australian couple, you know. And Harry goes over, and he uh, puts his hands on them and sort of jumps back, and he says, You ain't married? And I thought, Harry, what are you doing? I can, I can consciously, vividly remember thinking, Harry, what are you doing? You're embarrassing these people. What, what is this? You're not even married. The woman looks at the man and just immediately begins to bawl, just weep uncontrollably, crying. And then the man reaches over and grabs her hand and looks up and, and he says, it's true, we've been living together for I don't remember how many years. They've been together for a long time, but they had never been married. And it was a wound and a shame in that woman's heart. So they wound up getting married. 
You know, see, when God exposes something, He's not doing it to do you harm. He's exposing something to do you good. He doesn't want to shame you. He wants to heal you. Buy the truth and sell it not. Get a hold of it. You know, uh, I heard a guy that we were going through this thing that was, it was a shameful situation. And a friend of mine said, you know, Jesus was hung on a cross naked for all the world to see. He not only bore our sins, he bore our shame as well. You do not need to be ashamed if you are in Christ Jesus because He hung on a cross for your shame. The most shameful thing you've ever done. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses... How many have been forgiven of sins that you wish you had never done? You know those accusations that come against the body of Christ that say, Oh, it's just a bunch of holier-than-thou, arrogant, stuck-up, judgmental people. They don't know you. I know you. This is not a group of people that think you're better than everybody else. You're a bunch of people who desperately needed and still need help from the Holy Spirit. And you need to be transformed into something better than you were. That's who the body of Christ is. We're a bunch of redeemed, rescued, shameful people. I don't get it. When you hear that accusation, it's a lie. Or at least it is around the folks I've always known. We're surrounded by a huge crowd of witnesses right here to the life of faith. Let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. My God, I'm so tired of tripping. Let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. The champion who initiates and perfects our faith. He's in the process of perfecting your faith. Isn't that wonderful? That he's still working. He's always working. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross disregarding its shame. He bore that shame for you so that you never have to. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. 
And that's where you are destined to reside as well. We are seated with Him in heavenly places. Don't you forget it. But when the enemy exposes you, he does it to discredit you, to accuse you, to shame you, to intimidate you, to steal your confidence. Because of what I said last week, quite a few people came to me and spoke to me about betrayals that they had undergone in the past year. And I, without trying, was exposed to another ministry that has suffered false accusations this year trying to shame them and intimidating them into backing off for what they were doing for the Lord. If the enemy can't uncover any real dirt, he will use false accusations. Let's not give him any real dirt, church. You know what I'm saying? If the secrets of men's hearts are about to be revealed, what secrets do you want to continue to conceal? Do you, I've heard it said that most people are more afraid of their mama than they are God himself. I don't think there is a single man in this room who hasn't done things when he was alone with just God watching that he would not have done if his mama was in the room. But it is a time right now that you get a different kind of secret at work in your life. There is, there is a word used uh, for secret in the Old Testament in Jeremiah and Isaiah, a couple of places, where it says, He that dwells in the secret of the Almighty. The kind of secrets that we need to have is a secret prayer life. The kind of secret that we need to have is generous giving to the poor that nobody else knows about. Those are the kind of secrets that we need to have in our life so that if they do get revealed, it will bring glory to God instead of embarrassment to us. It is a time. If we're asking for the Holy Spirit to come in His power, you better get the closet cleaned up. Not because uh, to earn salvation, not to earn favor with God, but to bring glory to His name, we need to walk in a greater degree of holiness than ever before. Because we know that the enemy is going to come after every little thing that you do that's not right. True or not. You got to watch your words. Don't become a twit, tweeting. 
I'll leave that one alone. <laughs> Although I could go on. God wants to free us from shame. Don't you love that song, uh, Ain't No Grave, Gonna Hold This Body Down? You know, uh, Molly Skaggs didn't write that song. The Helsers did not write that song. They wrote some new words to a couple of the choruses. That's an old song. But I really like the, the Molly Skaggs version. It says, shame is a prison as cruel as a grave. Let's not walk in any shameful things anymore. Okay? Let's, let's pray for each other. Shame is a robber, and he's come to take my name. Oh, love is my redeemer, lifting me up from the ground. And love is the power when my freedom song is found. When we get free, love flows out of us. When we get free of the shameful things in our life, then love has the power to flow through us. You know, that, that, that whole song was a prophetic utterance by a 12-year-old boy. Somebody back there saying, yeah, you know about it. There was this kid. His name was Claude Eli. He was 12 years old, and he was diagnosed with terminal tuberculosis. In 1934, the kid was dying. And so his family took him to a little Pentecostal holiness prayer meeting, and when the kid got prayed for, he sang out. He sang out the word of the Lord. Ain't no grave going to hold my body down. And Claude Eli grew up to be a sort of semi-famous regional uh, Pentecostal holiness preacher all over Virginia, Tennessee, Mississippi, and Alabama. You can still go on uh, uh, YouTube and listen to some of his sermons. Now, they are Pentecostal, baby. <laughs> Makes us look like a bunch of Anglicans up in here. But it's interesting. It's interesting. This kid was dying of tuberculosis and got miraculously healed and wound up being a Pentecostal preacher. Did you know that's the exact same testimony that Kenneth Hagin Sr. had? And Oral Roberts had? Right around the same time? That they were both miraculously healed of terminal tuberculosis? I was in a little country church, a little cowboy church out in the middle of Oklahoma. And um, Kenneth Hagin Sr. was friends with a lot of the cowboys in that thing. He'd grown up there. or some, I don't know how he knew them, but anyway. So uh, they all called me and said, we're going to have a special meeting tonight. We can't tell you who's coming, but you've got to get out here. I'd preached a couple of times in this little cowboy church. So I went out there one Sunday night, and Kenneth Hagin was there. And... Uh, the man had power on him. 
Now, whether or not you like the name it, claim it, prosperity thing, the whole the deal around that, I'm telling you, but Kenneth Hagin knew the Lord. Kenneth Hagin Sr. had something that was imparted to him by the Holy Spirit. It's interesting that all three of those men were healed of the same thing and then became Pentecostal holiness preachers. It's almost like it was something God was doing. Okay? What's he doing right now? It's a time of revealing, not a time of concealing. Everything's going to be brought into the light. Your life, my life, our life, their life. Everything is going to be exposed. I think that's what the Lord's doing. And I think it's marvelous. I think it's marvelous. This uh, scripture, John eight thirty one and 32, is very famous. It says, Jesus said to the people who believed in him, Do you believe in him? Got any believers up in here? You are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. That's how you know. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Not long ago, uh, I, I, my wife forces me to watch things I don't want to watch, but then they turn out to be good stuff sometimes. Now, those of you who know Kathy know that Kathy is not a country music fan. But she discovered this Ken Burns series of documentaries. It's a series of eight documentaries, two hour each, about country music. And I was never a country music fan. I, I, I wanted to leave the embarrassment I had as a child about being born in a small western North Carolina town and was really a hillbilly, redneck kind of an environment. So I identified with rock and roll <laughs> instead of country music, you know. I was more into Jethro Tull than Jethro Clampett. Uh, uh, but anyway, I watched this uh, documentary series with Kathy on NPR, and there was this, this one, I had sort of a semi-personal encounter with, with Johnny Cash when he was at Oral Roberts University. And so there was a lot about Johnny Cash in there. And uh, anybody know who Merle Haggard is? Well, we do have some country music people <laughs> in here. Merle Haggard. Uh, the first time Merle Haggard ever heard Johnny Cash, Merle Haggard was in Folsom Prison. And Johnny Cash's concert at Folsom Prison uh, inspired a dream in Merle Haggard, who was a troubled youth and constantly in and out of prison, and he wound up finally being in Folsom Prison. But it inspired something into him that he dreamed of one day growing up to be a country musician as well. 
And then after he got out in one thing or another, he got a recording contract. He was obviously pretty talented, but he got a recording contract. But it was a constant battle with the promoters trying to conceal the fact that he was an ex-criminal. And Johnny Cash had gotten so famous that he had his own uh, variety show, the Johnny Cash show on television. And just before they were to go on, uh, Johnny Cash says, Merle, you need to own the truth about your past or you're always going to have to be hiding. And so for the first time on the Johnny Cash thing spontaneously in their conversation on national TV, Merle Haggard owned up to what he was in the past, that he had been in jail before, that he was a criminal. And you know, the only thing the devil can blackmail you with is what you keep secret. If it's out in the light, blackmail has no foothold. If you're walking in the light, the enemy has no foothold. But any darkness in the corners of your heart, no matter how small, if you hide that darkness and conceal it, it gives the enemy a toehold to gain power in your life. Don't give him any power. Don't give him any power. Bring it out to the light. Merle Haggard's career took off like a rocket after that. Because he had the truth. Buy the truth and sell it not. And get some wisdom and understanding along with it. Proverbs 23, 23. I remember one night, how am I doing? Okay. Um, I remember one night I was going out to minister somewhere and I was going with one of my personal heroes, Tom Bailey. I was in all, pro- I don't remember all the details of the night. I was probably just carrying Tom's bag, but I was supposed to speak some that night as well. But Tom Bailey was one of my all time, still is. He died recently of brain cancer, but he was one of the best Bible teachers I ever knew. I always wanted to teach the Bible like Tom. He was just great at it. He was great at it. And he and I were going somewhere to minister together. And I was driving down the road in my old rattle trap of a car. And it had been my inspection sticker was out of date. And I got pulled over by a cop. I still remember she was a little tiny thing, maybe 110 pound dripping wet with all of her equipment on, you know, kind of girl. And she comes up and she shines the light on my, me on my face and then looks at my uh, inspection sticker and says, Sir, did you know that your inspection sticker is out of date? And immediately it just came out of me. No, really? Now, I'd been thinking I needed to get that inspection sticker taken care of for the last month or two, you know, but I never quite had the time to get around to it. But what came out of me was, no, really? And she says, she shined the light on Tom's face, and he gave her a salute, and, you know, and one thing I know, she said, well, sir, I'm going to write you a warning ticket. 
And she wrote me a warning ticket and says, you've got 48 hours to get your inspection done and then file this with the police department. And so she took off. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit came and convicted me of a lie I just told. So I turned to Tom and I said, Tom, I knew my inspection sticker was out. And he said, yeah, I knew that you knew your inspection sticker was out. And the officer knew your inspection sticker, that you knew your inspection sticker was out. And the officer even knew that I knew that you knew that your inspection sticker was out. But she gave you a warning anyway, even though she knew you knew. That's grace. And immediately I heard the Lord say to me, Jim, if you don't love the truth, you don't love me because I am the truth. That was a hard one to swallow. If you don't love the truth, if you don't love the light, you don't love the Lord. One another thing, my wife drugged me to see the Mister Rogers movie recently. Now, uh, a, a, a a beautiful day in the neighborhood is not a children's movie. It is a very creative and very powerful message about forgiveness and love. It is not a children's movie. Uh, and so, since I went to see that movie, I've done some research on Mr. Rogers. One of the things that was quoted in the movie, that he said, it says, we need to remember that everyone is better than the worst thing they ever did. Think about that. In a day today. When the spirit of accusation is at loose in the world, anything that anybody can drag up that you did 20, 30, 40 years ago that you might have been foolish enough to put on the internet, you are that. You are that. You are the worst thing you ever did. I am here to tell you that God calls that a lie. You are not the worst thing you ever did. Mr. Rogers also said, Forgiveness is a strange thing. It can sometimes be easier to forgive our enemies than our friends. It can be hardest of all to forgive the people we love. Anybody ever had trouble forgiving somebody you love or were close to that did you wrong? Like all of life's important coping skills, the ability to forgive and the capacity to let go of resentments most likely takes root early in our lives. And this is, this is another zinger. This is powerful. 
the only thing evil can't stand is forgiveness. That's one thing that is lacking in social media today. You don't see forgiveness. There's no forgiveness. It's a constantly moving blame game. Mr. Rogers also said, he's becoming fast one of my favorite philosophers. There's a part of us all that longs to know that even what's weakest about us is still redeemable and can ultimately count for something good. Now, isn't that powerful? Isn't that powerful? There's a part of all of us that longs to know that even what's weakest about us is still redeemable and can ultimately count for something good. You know, uh, Esquire magazine in uh, 1998 assigned a reporter. His real name is uh, Tom Junot to write an article about uh, uh, Mr. Rogers. And this guy was famous for destroying people's lives with his exposés. So he got to know Mr. Rogers with the intention of revealing his hypocrisy. But this is what a CNN article had to say about that. CNN. Journalist Tom Juna dug into Rogers' TV persona and discovered it wasn't make-believe. By his account, the man was just as caring in practice as he appeared on the screen. That's the testimony that I want. Do you know how Mr. Rogers got into TV? Mr. Rogers, it was sort of the wimpy kid. He, was, he literally grew up the wimpy kid. He, at, at his peak, he weighed 143 pounds. You know? But um, he walked into his parents' living room one day and saw a children's TV program in the early days of TV and there were people throwing pies and hitting each other in the faces with pies. And he says, that's not what children need to see. Children need to see something better than that. So in that small moment, in that small moment, he said, children need to see something better than that, was the call of his life. He determined that he would do whatever he could to bring a positive message to children through the medium of television because he knew right away seeing it that there were kids who were going to be addicted to TV so they needed to see something positive. 
So he wangled around and got a job offer to work at a new uh, nonprofit TV station that was going to focus on children. And you know what he did for six years? For $75 a week, for six years, he was the voice of the puppet behind the scene that only did the voice of the puppet. For six years. For six years he did that before he got his own show. And then his own show ran for 31 years. Mr. Rogers uh, wanted to tell children that if they did something small but did it well, it could grow into something large. I think that's what the Lord wants to tell us today as well. Do what you do for the glory of God. Even if it's a small thing. I'm out of time again. Goodness gracious. So I'm going to go to the last verse. I had some other things. But anyway, I won't be here again for a while. Uh, 1 Peter 4.10 says, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. I love the way that is. Okay? Use them well to serve one another. Do you have a gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Do you have a gift of helping others? Do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies. Then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. May the Lord be glorified in everything that we do, whether it is small or large, whether it is public or secret. Let us do all that we do for the glory of the one who has showered his mercy and forgiveness and redemption on us. Let's live in the light, church. Let's live as if we want it all to be exposed for his glory. Let's be done with anything that would bring discredit to the name of the Lord. Let's be done with it. Because the day is for revealing, not concealing. I, for one, am glad he preached again. <laughs> There's a song by Petra, and one of the lines in the song says, Every building that is shaken will be shaken from within. Better have your house in order when the shaking begins, shaking the house. For those that had a wave of fear come over them, as, yeah, who didn't? Who didn't? I don't know how long you've been walking with the Lord. I'm sure people in here have been walking for. 60 years to, to six months. But think of this. Have you ever had the Lord tell you, I want you to go up to that man from behind and trip him? I want you to go up to that lady and slap her in the head. I want you to go give a word to that person and say, I'm very disappointed in you. I don't love you. Never, ever. But have you ever had the Lord speak to you, tell that person I love him, tell that person I forgive him, go put your arm around that person 
go put $20 in their hand. That's the God we serve. So if there's any fear, fear is from the enemy. God is a good God. And like Jim said, any exposing is for your good and for his glory. And that's the God we serve. So I'd like to ask the ministry team to come up. Anybody that needs prayer for for anything, including just a come-to-Jesus meeting, you know, I can't believe that people actually still run for office because the scrutiny that they go through and the stuff that's, that's dug up from their past, real or manufactured, man, to me, it ain't worth the price. <laughs> but God is a God who doesn't just cover sin. God is a God who removes sin. As far as the east is from the west, he remembers it no more. That's the God that we serve. So it's a good morning to get our house in order. Amen. So you may be released if you'd like, or you may come up for prayer. Did you want to say something? Um, God doesn't forget. I had this word like two years ago, and I feel like I was supposed to give in, and it wasn't for then, but God doesn't forget. Um, when it's fall outside and the leaves are changing color, it's not changing color. They're revealing the true color that's been there the whole time. When the chlorophyll is not in the leaves any longer, you see what's been there the whole time. Is It could either be an ugly brown or it could be a glorious red maple leaf. And part of the revealing is there's beauty under there too. It's not just revealing ugliness. God wants to reveal the beauty that he put inside of you that's been there the whole time. That's so good. Amen. Amen. Well, let's pray and, and then... Um, Let's go on with our day. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for our brother, Jim. Thank you, God, for the word that you put in him and the blessing it was as he revealed it. And thank you, Lord God, for your love for us, your love for us, and that you do have powerful things for us to do. And we just want to say, Lord, collectively, we're not going to put our light under a bushel. We are going to take that bushel off if we had it on, or we're going to climb to a higher place in the town for all to see the light that you have within us, that we will be shining in this dark world. In Jesus' name, amen.